Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Good morning. It's an honor for me to bring you God's Word, and I pray that this Word will encourage you. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is life and spirit to us. Father, we pray that this morning as we open up the Scriptures, that you will meet us right where we are. There's no distance between us and you, God. And you can speak through the airwaves. You can speak to us in our living room, in our bedroom. So Father, we pray, crash in right now. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are our very present help in time of need. We love you. We honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. I want to bring a word that I believe is a word in season. The last few weeks have not been the easiest for many of us. Personally, I've fought and perhaps am still fighting some very intense internal battles. There had been times of weakness, of distress, and even confusion. I would consider the last six months with the passing of my aunt, my paternal auntie, my maternal aunt, uh, as some of the lowest points in my life. If you're like me, I pray that this message will encourage you as much as it has blessed me as I'm preparing for it. God is still Emmanuel. Regardless of what you are going through, He is with us, even in the midst of our challenges and difficulties. In fact, these challenging times are as much the plan of God as the good times. But it is during times like this that we need to gain a fresh perspective of who God is in our lives. And there's a story in the Bible that has brought much meaning to me recently, and it's found in 1 Kings chapter 20. In 1 Kings chapter 20, Israel had recently defeated the Arameans in a mountain battle, and the advisors of uh, King Aram came to him and they thought they knew better. Let's pick up the story in verse 22. In verse 22, it says, Afterward, the prophet came to king of Israel and said, Strengthen your position and see what must be done, because the next spring the king of Aram will attack you again. Meanwhile, the officials of the king of Aram advised him, Their gods are the gods of the hills. That's why they were too strong for us. But if we fight them on the plains, surely we will be stronger than they. God is the God of the hills. And the hills represent the high points in our lives. Those mountaintop experiences, those Instagrammable moments when we feel like we're on the, on the top of the world. And it's not hard for us as believers to understand the idea of God being the God of the hills. In fact, in the Bible, hills and mountains were used by God for times of visitations and revelations. God revealed himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh, God the provider on Mount Moriah. He gave the Ten Commandments, the law, to Moses on Mount Sinai. He spoke to Elijah with a still small voice on Mount Horeb. Indeed, Jesus' most glorious moment in his earthly ministry happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. His ascension took place on the Mount of Olives. So God is the God of the hills and the mountains. Our mountaintop experiences are often like milestones in our lives. They empower us and they launch us into the plans of God. For example, when we were first born again, that was a powerful moment that we came to know Jesus Christ and we are saved and the sins were forgiven. It was a highlight, it was a milestone. When we're baptized in the water, 
when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, when we had fresh encounters with God uh, during church camps or conferences, when we received prophetic words that mark our lives. These were all mountaintop experiences that shape us and transform us. They could, they could also be everyday happenings, key highlights in our lives. For example, when we find our true love got married, when our children were born, when we had career advancement, got the promotion that we've been praying for, increments to our salaries, supernatural provisions when we're in lack, buying that dream house or that dream car. And for the younger people here, getting the presents that we want for our birthdays, our parents buying us that pet dog we've been persuading them persistently for, taking a photo with our, with our favorite people, our, the, the celebrity that, that we so admire, or scoring A's for our exams. And in recent times, for McDonald's and Starbucks to resume their business. See, these are all good things, and we should celebrate every single one of them, perhaps some more than the other. God is the God of the hills and the mountain. But God isn't just with us when we're feeling high and excited about life. Contrary to what Aram's advisors thought, God is also the God of the plains. The plains represent what we consider to be routine, ordinary, and even mundane day-to-day aspects of our lives. The quiet time we've got in the morning, the exercise, the regular uh, work routine that we have got to go through, school, for example, tuition, mom's cooking, that's not as exciting as and what we have in restaurants, home-based learning for some parents here, the routine that we've got to go through, those were planes. Yes, I know, I know it's, it's not exciting, it's not, it, it's not dramatic, but you see, God is just as interested in the planes in our lives as He is in the hills of our lives. It is very easy for us to miss God in the monotony of life and the boredom of the ordinary and to allow our impatience and a lack of contentment to make us think that we're missing it. This is a hard lesson, especially for me, where, where, where I want to live from, from one high to, to the next high. But God is the God of the plains. I like what Richard Foster said in his book, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. He said, the discovery of God lies in the daily and in the ordinary, not in the spectacular and the heroic. If we cannot find God in the routines of home and shop, then we will not find him at all. How true. God wants to be the God in our ordinary. A few verses later in verse 28 in 1 uh, Kings chapter 20, a prophet who discerned the enemy's strategy came to the king of Israel and he, and he said, this is what the Lord says, because the Arameans think the Lord is the God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hands and you will know that I am the Lord. You see, God is not just the God of the mountains and the hills and not just the plains. He's also the God of our valleys. And this is what I want to focus on in this message. He is the God of our low points. He is the God when we are depressed. He is the God when we are going through challenging times in our lives. No matter what enemy tries to tell you, our Father is not just the God of the mountains or the plains. Our Father is the God of the valleys. The same God who demonstrated His power and miracles on the mountains and who is our constant companion in the plains, longs to reveal himself as our faithful and committed shepherd in our difficulties and our distresses. 
See, friends, in and through all things, He is our God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our circumstances do not change who He is. It doesn't change God at all. See, valleys produce fruitfulness. I believe it was Dr. Billy Graham who said, mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valleys. When we're on the mountaintops of our Christian experience, we can see our future clearly, we have perspective, and we are confident. But when we are in one of life's valleys, our vision is often limited, our future seems hidden, yet fruit grows in the valleys. Valleys are also the most fertile places on earth. And we can, and we should as believers, expect a harvest of virtues when we go through one of the low moments in our lives. Because fruit grows in the valleys. One of my favorite verses is found in Psalm 84, verse 5 and 6, where the psalmist wrote, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. Baca means weeping. And we cry when our hopes are dashed, when our hearts are crushed, and there appear to be no way out of this depressing period. But for those whom God has placed the highways to Zion in our hearts, we must remember that we are simply passing through valleys. So we don't live in them. We're passing through them. In the Bible, Zion is, is described as the city of God. It is called the joy of the whole earth, the perfection of beauty, the place from which the Lord has commanded the blessing and life forevermore. It is where the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing everlasting joy and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. See, friends, Spiritually, I believe Zion represents the believer's destiny in God. Our maturity, our union with Christ, where we are dead to our sinful nature and being fully alive in the Spirit, fully possessed by God Himself. And you see, friends, I believe that there is more to our journey with God than merely salvation. I believe our longing for Zion, our longing for that city whose builder and Maker is God must drive us through every season, up and down, high and low in our lives. We must have a destiny that drives us forward. The Bible says, passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. On the other side of our weeping, of our crying, it's a spring. In time, the very things that overwhelm us will refresh us with new life. Do you believe that? I believe that. That whatever we go through, that we found challenging, God will use that to refresh us. Let's, think, let's talk about Joseph for a moment. He was his father's favorite. His story began with dreams and visions. And like Joseph, our walk with God often began with a travel brochure of dreams and visions where God will show us a picture of our destination the abundant life that we can have in the promised land, the amazing things that we will do for His kingdom, the precious promises of impact and influence. And yet, we often miss the fine print, the pain, the perplexity of the process before we possess the promise and the promotion. See, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was delivered by... Uh, for the, I don't know why I'm crying. He was delivered up by them to die. He was unjustly accused when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. He was imprisoned. He was forgotten by all. 
Yet, yet God was looking. He was watching and he was measuring Joseph's reaction to the process. And regardless of his state, whether he was rich or poor, blessed or smitten, Joseph was faithful to God. Joseph served God. He was being tested and he passed every single test. And finally at the right time, and suddenly, and that's how God works, in a moment in time, suddenly, God connected all the loose ends in Joseph's life. As I'm preparing for this, I just believe God just inspired those phrases that He wants to tie up the loose ends in your life. And everything that Joseph went through would have seemed cruel and unfair, but God was shaping a man for His purpose. God uses everything we go through in life for future purposes. Yes, we can't see them because we're going through a valley, but all we can do is to remember our dreams, is to keep the faith, is to trust in God's character, and to believe that in due time, He would tie up the loose ends. He would connect all the dots. He would write the end of our story. Somebody say, Amen. See, Joseph had two sons. And the names of those two sons gave us insights into his response and how his life ended. He named his firstborn Manasseh because he said in, Gen- in the book of Genesis chapter 41, verse 51, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. I've heard many people said, I cannot forget what happened or what so-and-so did to me. And that may be true. But I've also learned that there's a supernatural forgetfulness where like Joseph, God can make us forget all the troubles, all the pain, all the struggles from our past. And his name is his second son, Ephraim, because he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God made him fruitful in the very things that afflicted him. See friends, there's something wonderful about God's ability to cause all things to work together for good for those who love Him. In the land of your affliction, in our battle, it's the place where God will make you fruitful. Think about it. The area of greatest affliction in your life right now, in that area, God will make you fruitful in such a way that your heart will be fully satisfied and God will be fully glorified. Ultimately, the Lord will touch many others with the substance that He produced in your life as you go through those moments. In a world that's superficial, in a world of quick fix, as you go through the valley of Baca, Christ will produce something within you, that, within you that's so deep that will spring up and refresh many others. I, w- I want to remind us, when you're in a valley, that the next mountain is just ahead of you. You see, you can never be in a valley unless you're positioned between two mountains. In other words, when you are, we are in a valley, by definition, it means we have just left some mountaintop and on our way to the next mountain. The catch is this. You cannot stop in the valley. We are passing through the valley of Baca, the psalmist says. The author of Psalm 23 also wrote, though I walk what, through the valley of the shadow of death, which means you came in on one side and if you keep on walking, you are coming out on the other side. See, God wants to remind us that our journey is not complete yet. Amen. 
we are still going on. And though you feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, God still has blessings for us in the valley. One of, one of another favorite verse of mine, I've got many favorite verses, a favorite verse of mine is Isaiah 45 and verse 3. When we're going through shadows, darkness, the Bible says, I will give you treasures in darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. You see, friends, there are, only, there are treasures that can only be found when we go through dark places when we go through times when we thought we cannot see go through times of darkness challenges and these are riches the bible says stored up for us in secret places and i pray that as you go through these few weeks and for some of you some losses in your life that you will discover these hidden treasures but more than that, Psalm 23 also says, God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Don't miss this. God prepares. Which means, when I'm in the valley, in between two mountains, God is preparing. He is moving. When I'm in the valley, in between decisions, God is preparing. He is moving. When I'm in the valley, in the midst of depression, in the midst of confrontation, in the midst of, of uh, confusion, of challenges, in the midst of failures, in the midst of disgust, in, in the midst of discouragement, God is preparing and He is moving. It reminds me of the song, even when I don't see it, He's working. He is moving, amen. And here's what God does. He's preparing a table. A, a symbol of blessing, a symbol of fellowship, a symbol of provision before me. See, the English language is very interesting. The word before can either mean a preposition of location or an advert of time. A preposition of location or an advert of time. In this valley, in this shadow, in this struggle, in this challenge, there is a blessing just ahead of you. Listen carefully in space and time. God has a blessing for you just before you. Amen. Just before you. And there is more good news. God is doing all this in the presence of my enemies. The enemy of our soul is watching as God was setting you up to your next mountain. And yet he can do nothing about it to stop God. And that's how powerful our God is. That as you're going through your valley of the shadow of death, treasures in darkness, blessings before you in time and space, and the enemy is watching, but there's nothing he can do about it. As I conclude, without a doubt, we will pass through valleys. God has not promised to keep us from valleys and from sufferings, but he has promised to be with us when we're going through them and to make us fruitful in them. And as we remain faithful to Him in trials, the character of Christ and the nature of Christ will be formed in us and Christ will be revealed to those around us. See, we have to remember, even in the midst of our most severe trials and pains, God is working and He's setting us up for our next mountaintop experience. And whether we are experiencing the heights of success and power or in the midst of a valley of weakness and despair, the Lord is our God. He is the God of our mountains and hills, God of our plains, and He's the God of our valleys. Let me close with one of my 
all-time favorite verses in James chapter 1, verse 2 and verse 4. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. You see, friends, we cannot choose our trials, but we can decide how we respond to them. And James reminds us, when we face trials, to count it all joy and to persevere in faith. Because as we allow this test to be completed, we will be perfected. And the Bible tells us we'll be mature, complete, lacking nothing. See, how we respond will determine the outcome of our lives, whether we are complaining or whether we are joyful, whether we are losing heart or we persevere. And the promise of Scripture is true, that as we respond in faith, unwavering in our commitment towards God, trusting Him to deliver us, we will come out better and not bitter. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this morning again. We ask that you will use this word, God, to encourage us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death. Help us see you working, preparing a table for us. And even as the enemy watches, we thank you, God, that Lord, those of us who are in Christ, we are untouchable. We are kept in. You are our hedge. So, Father, I pray, minister to my friends, to our church in these times. We love you, we honor you, in Jesus' name. Amen.